Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're glad you're here for another episode. Today, we're going to talk about connection in the main segment. (laughs) And (laughs) for what in the week... It's not really a what in the week, and it's not even mine, but it's funny, and so I would like to share it. <laughs> Please do. Because, you know, parenting, if you don't laugh, you cry sometimes. So this is about my little four-year-old niece, Journey, and Journey is four. She has the insults and comebacks <laughs> of a 14-year-old. <laughs> she get that from her mama. <laughs> she sure does. She surely does, but she also gives her mama a run for her money. (laughs) So they had been having just a rough week, which again, just happens. Uh, Just really struggling to kind of get on the same page. And then every parent's nightmare, we had a snow day Mm. here this week. And so they were home together all day. (laughs) And many times when they have these misses I guess we'll say Joe can like bring her here or go to mom and dad's or like you know you can go do something to mm-hmm. kind of like break up the day well it was a snow day so <laughs> couldn't really go anywhere so again I had nothing to do with this other than I was texting Joe all day and she was telling me the things that Journey was saying I was laughing and then trying to like support her <laughs> And even I told Ben some of them, and he was like, you would have started laughing in her face. And I said, I absolutely would have, because she is, she's just on another level. And again, she is four. So here's the thing she said. So first, Joe, earlier in the morning, well, by 830, had yelled at her. (laughs) So she said, oh, this is going to be a long day. And so then at that point, Journey said, you're having a rough day today, aren't you? Oh, man. So then she sent me a picture of Journey sitting with her back to Joe in like her kitchen table with like her arms crossed, like clearly like a middle finger. (laughs) And then, now listen, she's four, so she doesn't know what this means, but this is what she said. (laughs) She said, Mommy, if you say that again, I'm going to get Bub and we're going to kill you. (laughs) And Benny and Sawyer. (laughs) She's taking out everybody. And Joe said, wouldn't you be sad if me and Benny and Sawyer were just gone? And she said, no, I'll have Bub and Dee Dee. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) Then two hours later, she said, why did you have to make us live in this stupid house with these stupid people downstairs? (laughs) And I was like, I think she needs a nap. And Joe said, I think she needs an exorcism. (laughs) Then... Earlier in the afternoon, she said, Mommy, Dee Dee just called me and asked if we could go to her house. I did not call her or ask her <laughs> to come to my house. <laughs> then she said, Mommy, you're my BFF. I said, okay, well, we've, all right, we've turned a corner. <laughs> then, this is my favorite. I got to find it. She said, <laughs> this was later. She took like a four-hour nap or something. Then she told Joe, 
later in the evening. When you go to sleep, I'm going to go get all the food in the kitchen and shove it in your mouth so you can't talk to me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) And Joe just said, I really hate it here. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. I hope it's better (laughs) tomorrow. So that was their snow day. Bless it. So that girl, I don't know if it's because she's around, like, older kids and adults more. But, man, the things she says is what you would hear from, like, a teenager. So she's getting all the food and shoving it in her mom's mouth to make her quiet. (laughs) She makes me laugh. (laughs) And again, I do laugh. I think that stuff is funny. I don't think she understands what half of it means. And I know many people would lose their ever loving minds if their kids said that. 100%. Yep. And find it so disrespectful. But she'd already been yelled at. I mean, like, we were just not in a real respectful zone that day. (laughs) And I think it's funny. It makes me laugh. So. Yeah, not the most respectful, but neither is yelling and neither is, you know, she's four. So she's, she's working on it. Right. She's funny. She <laughs> is a good time. All right. Maybe on a more serious note, now we're going to talk about connection. And we decided to talk about this. We had some conversations offline, as we tend to do, and then say like, shoot, we need to stop talking because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> need to shut up record I know save it record this that sometimes I think there's like a misunderstanding of what connection is or means or how you do it or that kind of thing because I think for some people they've kind of misunderstood connection to only mean like calm quiet moments Mm -hmm. and that connection is that that it's always just like my nightly meetings or like just kind of a misunderstanding for how you can do this, why it's important and what it can look like. And so I think I've said in previous episodes, I I really prefer the words like attunement more than connection because to me it, it feels better because attunement to me means like an alignment, whereas connection to, I don't know, has like more of a positive, calm feeling about it does that make any sense yeah i think it does i think attunement to me is more of a what's the word scientific word than connection is so i think that that connection we think that it only does mean that one thing whereas like the scientific term is kind of more elusive yeah kind of yeah that makes sense to me the difference is just attunement is alignment no matter what the presentation or emotion or behavior yeah and I think connection often feels positive, calm, and quiet. And I think that's sometimes where parents, we like miss the boat on that. So yeah, we're going to talk about it and see, see okay. where we get. So I broke it down into like three different categories. And I didn't invent this necessarily. Lots of people and lots of different like treatment programs or theories kind of have these built in, but it's the best way I can think of to like explain it clearly. So the three different kind of categories or sections are like, see me, hear me, feel me. And we'll talk about what those mean with like different age of kids, but like see me is, I mean, they're fairly self-explanatory, but (laughs) 
really like <laughs> seeing our kids and what they're doing. You know, for our little kids, they want to show us everything. It's like, come see this. Look at my artwork. Look at my boogers. Look at my leg. Look at <laughs> my toys. All those things. And that can get like overwhelming sometimes. And we often are distracted. That will be a common theme, I think. Mm -hmm. But it's really seeing them, what they're doing, showing interest in them. For young kids, this can be like imitating them in play. So like if you let them lead play and then you, you know, we've all done that. We're like, they take a drink out of their cup and we say, oh, that looks good. I'm going to drink my, I'm going to drink my tea too. Or they build some kind of structure and we say like, oh, I'm, I'll build that too. Like that imitating of play, especially for young kids, demonstrates that like, I see what you're doing. I'm invested. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of reciprocate that. I'm going to imitate that. And that can be a real connecting force. Again, not necessarily calm or positive, but it's that real like seeing them and what they're doing. Okay, so then hearing, hear me, is like actively listening. And I think sometimes, you know, we get a lot of questions about like how to do this with teenagers. And sometimes I struggle with that because they're just big children. And even, you know, when we professionally, we work with schools a lot and they will say like, we want one talk for teachers of elementary school kids and a different talk for teachers of middle school kids. And we often say like, we're going to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Our stories might be a little bit different. Like we're going to say the exact same thing. And so this is one that I think regardless of age, like, and maybe even more so for teenagers, is this active listening without judgment or correction that really is key in demonstrating this more connection or attunement. So giving them space and opportunities for real conversations that are not correcting their words or telling them they're being unkind or challenging their thought patterns or anything like that, giving them advice. It is just a space for hearing what is going on in their little brain. And that can be positive and negative. So I can hear the great thing they do at school and just take it. And I can also hear how much they hate their friend that day and how mad they are without correcting or trying to fix it or telling them that's not nice to say about them or no, that's not, that's not really how you feel. It is just like this hearing them that is completely open and accepting and attuned to whatever it is they're saying. And that's, I think, easier for young kids in many ways because we are accustomed to our young kids saying crazy things mm -hmm. or, right, like we talked about last week, make believe and play and imagination and all that stuff. And we don't feel the need to correct it. But then as they get older and we feel like we need to, I don't know, teach them new things or help them solve problems or whatever it is we think we're kind of doing in our response, we forget the component of just listening for the sake of listening and that that is super important. And a real, for many, many teenagers, 
that is where there is a real lack of connection Mm. is nobody cares about what I have to say. They don't listen to me. They tell me I'm being dramatic or they tell me they had it worse or they tell me I just need to kind of buck up. And that is a real miss of attunement in this like hear me section or mode. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense too, though, um, as a parent that it is harder for us when we hear our teenagers have those, you know, maybe more crass conversations or more yeah. like unacceptable conversations, that's in quotes, because again, I think as our kids get older, we want so desperately for them not to feel those negative things. And so there's this there's this need in us to try and fix it, whether that's dismissing it or you know, telling them what to do or what not to do. Like, I think that comes from a good place, but I think you're right. I think it it is dismissive and does miss an opportunity for, for that genuine connection with our kids because we just are listening and not trying to fix it, even though I think that comes from a good place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it, in my mind and in my experience, it really misses, you know, many of us as adults. I'll call my friend and I will say like, okay, I just need to vent for a minute. Mm-hmm. And I will say ridiculous things. I'm going to quit my job and I hate my mom. And Mm -hmm. this girl, you know, should have X, Y, or Z done to her. Or like, you know, you just like spew junk. And many times we do preface it with like, I know I'm about to sound ridiculous and I'm just venting. Mm -hmm. And we hopefully have friends who know us well enough to know like, she doesn't mean anything she's saying right now. She's just get it out. Yeah. And then we get it out and say like, okay, thanks. I feel better. See ya. And like away we go. There's like a real benefit to that. Mm-hmm. And we do it in our relationships as adults all the time. It's healthy so that I don't spew it on the people that I shouldn't be saying the things to where mm-hmm. I have a trusted person to say, listen, I'm gonna let all my, my deepest, darkest things hang out mm-hmm. here for a minute. And how healthy and connecting and validating that is when we have someone that we can do that with. And for our teenagers, they need that just as much, especially if we, right, many times we view them as little adults and expect them to act as such. That is a very adult thing to do. And yep, I hope they have friends that they can do that with. But as someone who wants to know what's going on in their life, I also am happy to be that right. like holder of all those things. Cause then you'll, you will get some good information out of there, even if you don't want to do anything with it. So it's again, this, sometimes we have these like double standards of, we view them as adults and want them to act as such, but not this way over mm-hmm. here. I still want you to act like, a, like a child, mm. but I'm gonna hold you to the standards of an adult over here. And that's super right. confusing. And this is a way that truly, if you can just let them like just be the holder of that and you have to set up opportunities for that and then you have to keep your mouth shut to be able to let all that out. And maybe you do come up with some kind of system with them of like, okay, are you venting or do you want me to do something about this? Mm -hmm. And then maybe over time prep them to say to you, all right, mom, I'm just venting, but I need to get all this out. Cool. So that that hearing them and responding and listening and truly listening is super important when we talk about connection. Yeah, that makes sense because <laughs> that's super important 
as adults. So correct makes sense to me. Correct. And very key in like a healthy, good, positive relationship, right? Right. Like that's right. It's an important part of all of it. Mm-hmm. All right. So then we'll get to feel me. And I think this is the one where people really like miss. We miss our kids here. And this is joining a feeling no matter what it is. And I think we are good at doing this when the feeling is positive. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, negative. Mm-hmm. We can join sadness and loneliness fairly easily, right? If my kid is crying or sad or they just broke up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or they were left out at school or anything, I can very easily go with them into that sadness and say, oh, I am so sorry that happened. That must feel terrible. I know that's happened to me before and I hate it and I'm I'm so sad that this has happened to you and we we can join them super easily. It is more difficult with other kinds of emotions, including anger, and for some people even like excitement, depending on our personalities. So, right, when, when our kids come to us and are angry and mad, even if that's at us, I think for many of us, we feel like if I join them in that, I am contributing to that and making it worse. And there's a real trick in like kind of dipping your toe in their anger and joining them while also holding ourselves in our own sense of regulation where I'm not joining them completely, but I'm not joining them in their sadness completely either, right? I am staying grounded and regulated enough to be sad with them and yet pull myself back into a state of regulation. And I think for many parents, we miss that with those bigger, maybe more negative emotions, anger being one of them. And so that I think is how we end up invalidating those feelings and trying to just like pull them out of it instead of dipping a toe in it with them. Is this making sense? Yeah, it does. Especially coming from the background that we came from where anger was uh, wrong. And so there's this danger, I think some of us feel, that if we do dip our toe in that, we're condoning it. Like we're acknowledging that anger is a valid emotion. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that plays into it too, because not only we don't want them to feel angry, but I think some of us, especially those of us that grew up from that one background where there's certain emotions that are bad we're even less likely to empathize and dip our toe in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you got to do that work before you get to this point, right? Oh, 100%. Of if, yes. That I think is is for many parents why why they struggle to do that. That's like step one, recognizing that like anger is not bad. Anger ain't wrong. We were given all emotions in the same way. And so it's not wrong. And so that's your work to do long before you get to even the talking about being able to dip your toe in it with them. Mm -hmm. And then there's a group of us that have accepted and acknowledged that piece. Like, yep, anger is okay. I want my kid to learn to experience it just in a healthy, appropriate way. 
And like, we've made our peace with that. And now the next step is this joining of right. the anger. Yeah. Which is truly the way we pull them out of it. You mm-hmm. know, many parents try to pull them out of it by that invalidation or punishment or shame or, you know, fill in the blank there. But truly pulling them out of it is going with them into the anger with my other toe in my regulation and then drawing them with me through connection back into what's really called like a window of tolerance, like a a regulated state. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's such just a miss in that understanding and kind of the flip side of that is people who think, okay, I'm going to help pull them out of their anger just by staying like kind of blank faced Mm -hmm. or not joining them. I'm going to stay calm and happy and regulated. And that doesn't really work either. And there's this whole concept about, there's like four different signs of danger, but or things that cue danger. But one of them is incongruence, like things not being the same. And like, if it's when parents say, you know, parents are crying, we've all either done this or heard of this. And kids come up and say, why are you sad, mommy? And they say, I'm not sad. Well, you're crying. Mm -hmm. So you're something. And when we like, make that go away. It creates an incongruence in the environment that feels unsafe to nervous systems or nervous systems of not just our kids, our nervous systems view that as dangerous. And so the same would be true of, yeah, I see you're really mad, but we are like smiling. Mm, Their system says like, she's not safe. I'm still not safe. This doesn't feel good. And then there's even more of like a pulling away from that or right we know a lack of safety does not lead to anything calming and regulated and good really am I explaining this okay does this make sense it does so far I have some questions but keep going okay so the goal is just that attuning to those emotions so anger I can put on an angry face with them And I can say, yes, you are so mad. You can't see my face, but I'm making a mad face right now. (laughs) I'm making a mad face. Her brow is very furrowed. My brow is furrowed. And my my voice is deep. And I my body is like hunched. I I am (laughs) using all the things. I would give you a picture, but I'm in my pajamas still. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm joining that anger in a way that is like attuning and connecting and saying, tell me about that. I want to hear about that. Or, yeah, I can see you're really angry. What do you want to do about it? Or what happened? Or let me know how I can help you or that kind of thing. But I am joining first. I am connecting first and then hoping to take the next step in kind of like pulling them back with me from a nervous system perspective back into this safe and connected window. All right. Ask your questions. I can see well, on your face. <laughs> <laughs> My brow is also furrowed. Yes. Well, I just have a question because when I go back to, I think it was the polyvagal theory with the ladder, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. obviously if my kid comes home and they're angry because 
I don't know, their best friend was mean them at school or whatever. Yep. And they're escalated. They've, they're climbing up the ladder. Yep. And I need to bring them back down the ladder yep. with me. So the polyvagal theory is I can only do that if I remain calm, right? And my nervous system stays regulated. It seems to me like this, there's, there's this fine dance we're about to do, right? Of how do yeah. I, how do I grab a hold of them to not let them go further up the, up the ladder while still keeping my foot on the rung down the ladder? That seems like a, a fine dance is the only thing I can think of, but like this really intentional, I can't think of the word, but it's very like, it's complicated. Complicated. Yes. There you go. I think one of the first things I would say to correct one of your verbs, and this is super common, the goal is not for me to remain calm necessarily. It is to remain regulated. Regulated. Yes. Okay. And that is, I think, where many people get it twisted is regulated does not equal calm all the time. The best example I have for this is like a sporting event where you are like cheering and screaming and jumping and all that, you are regulated. You are not calm. Mm. Right? That's going up the ladder if we're going back to polyvagal. And down the ladder is like an intimate moment with a Mm -hmm. partner where you are, you're down regulated. You're down, right? You're in that dorsal vagal zone, but you are still regulated. You may not be calm. So it is this difference of, Yep, I'm going to go up a rung to join you, but I'm going to keep my other foot down Mm -hmm. a rung in my safe and connected zone. And yeah, I'm going to go try to get you. I'm basically going to try to go get you. But I cannot do that by staying in my safe and connected zone. I I can't get to you that way. So sometimes this looks like, right, we ignore our kids. Many people say, like, just ignore their behavior turns into ignoring them. And so they're screaming. And we think if I just ignore them and stay calm sitting here on the couch, they'll come back, right? They'll calm down. Yeah. And that's not it. That's not it. They can't. They can't. They need a nervous system to join them and then pull them, pull them back. Excitement is the other one that this sometimes gets lost on. And I think a lot of parents would say like, that doesn't make any sense. But these are for kids that are like, like my kids, they're dramatic all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they get excited, like overly excited. You have kids that are just like buzzing all the time and it gets taxing. It gets annoying. Mm -hmm. And we try and take that away. That is a sign of being upregulated, right? Like we're up the ladder because we are excited Maybe we're regulated, maybe we're not, but it's annoying to me as a parent. But the best way to calm that and to get that kind of back down is to join join that excitement, Mm -hmm. to join the excitement, do something ridiculous, and then bring them down with you in your down regulation to bring them with you. But you can't do it just by sitting here saying like, stop being excited Come join me here. It's great. Give me an example of that. Give me an example of that. I'll give you an example. Sawyer, this is over the past week. Sawyer, I don't know why, but we put on his Christmas list a Nerf sniper rifle. (laughs) Okay? 
And so, bless his grandparents' heart, they got him this Nerf sniper rifle. And so he thinks it is hilarious to hide in random places in our house and snipe us (laughs) from all different places. And he loves it and will just shoot us at any given moment with Nerf guns. First of all, it doesn't feel very good. And it is, it's annoying. It's Mm -hmm. annoying. But he is like cackling and running and he is like amped and he is so excited. Mm -hmm. And everything in me wants to just yell at him to put the damn sniper rifle down. Stop sniping us while we're in the kitchen. (laughs) Things I never thought I'd say. I know, right? (laughs) But to join that is to do something like have a nerf, Nerf war or run around and like let him hit you and join the fun and make it like a cool thing and set a timer and say like, all right, bud, we're going to do this for five minutes and then I have to get back to making dinner. So we're going to put it up. That is a joining in a way that is connecting. Even when I don't, I really didn't want to. And then setting kind of like a boundary and pulling him back with us and coming back to a place of you know, acceptance and kind of like that more regulated state. He was very regulated, honestly, in his sniping of us. He just, it was dysregulating us because we were over it. So that's an example. That's a, and you could do a couple different ones like that, but it's our kids that are doing something like, they're excited. They think it's fun. They're silly. They're goofy. They're running. They're playing. They're laughing. And we just try and say like, stop it. Mm. If you can join it, and attuned to it, even for like, does not have to be very long. The odds of then like pulling them back out of it and coming back to a place that feels better to us are much, much better. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Okay. So we're just talking about joining and attuning to emotions without letting them take us over. Different ones of these emotions are going to be easier for us to do that with based on our history right? Mm -hmm. We have some that can join excitement super easily, cannot join sadness because it triggers all our Mm -hmm. stuff, all our childhood stuff. And so joining with sadness is the thing that says like, no, no, I cannot, mm -mm, I can't do that because I'm not, A, I'm not sure I can maybe get myself back up and B, I don't want to, I just don't, it just feels so terrible to me. And so much like everything else, all of a lot of this kind of is just triggers our own childhood stuff of for like you and me, anger might be hard because it was so drilled into us that that was inappropriate. That was wrong. That was disrespectful. Mm -hmm. That was sinful. You have to just be happy all the time. And so coming out of happiness to anger is hard. It's challenging. It feels it takes much more work than we grew up in very silly home, a very silly home with, you know, so I can join excitement and play and fun super easily. Does not, I, I can go right along with that. I, I'd prefer that. The other stuff is harder for me personally just because of what I've, you know, how right. we grew up and that kind of thing. So again, not bad or good or worse or better or anything like that, just different. And is understanding the, you know, as always, what we're bringing to this parenting thing. And what we maybe need to look at and address in our own selves 
mm-hmm. to be able to do that differently. So many, many, many times our kids' misbehaviors are a sign of seeking connection. Probably 99% of the time they are seeking connection and they feel disconnected. And so then their behavior kind of follows suit in this disconnected, dysregulated, disruptive type of way. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, you know, these last three or four episodes always has been whether that was suicidal ideation or lying or biting or their fear. Always the question I want to ask myself and would encourage parents to ask is, is this giving them the connection that they're seeking? And can we give them that connection in a healthier, more appropriate, safer kind of way? Because I I don't want them to learn that that's the only way you get connection from me is those things, lying or self-harm or biting, or that's the only time you get me. Mm-hmm. We have to allow them to get connection, whatever, mm-hmm. for things like a Nerf, a Nerf war or anything else that is more positive and healthy as opposed to the only time I get mom's attention is if I'm screaming at her or if Mm -hmm. I'm disruptive or if I'm hitting my brother or whatever it is. Right. Okay. So I'm going to give just, I wrote down, I don't know, seven or eight ways that in my home we attempt connection. And these are, I tried to pick things that like maybe aren't, super common or like, you know, you may not think about. But as I started to think about this whole topic, I was like, oh, yeah, we do this and this and this. And they're they're minor. They are itty bitty. But it's this ongoing attunement of them that I hope to foster kind of throughout the day. So here here are ours. Yes, nightly meetings. You know, I crawl in bed with them every night. Ben crawls in bed with them every night and then we swap in the middle. But we lay with them in bed. Sometimes we talk. Sometimes we do nothing. Sometimes they read to us. Sometimes they tell us to get out of their room. (laughs) Sometimes. But, and that's kind of, I think, a more, mm, I think more people would view that as like a traditional Mm -hmm. way to connect. is Because it's calm and quiet and all those things. So that certainly is one way. And I have said, you've heard me say multiple times, I'm doing that till they tell me not to get in their bed anymore. But let me pause you right there because I think some people, because bedtime is a problem for some people because their kids don't want to go to bed. And so then there is this, I think, I mean, just in the kids that I've watched, like bedtime comes and there's this spike of negative behavior because they don't want to go to bed. And so it's the same thing, right? Joining them in that then allows me then to bring them in theory quicker back down so that we do accomplish what the goal is, which is to take your ass to bed. Yeah. And I think most, I don't want to say all, most bedtime issues are or could be a lack of connection because many times I think we, and I do not fault anybody, we are so tired, get to bed Mm because I need to be alone or I have had it with you today or Mm -hmm. any of those things. Nothing wrong with any of that. But sometimes I think if we would connect differently around bedtime 
we would save ourselves so much time on the back end. And I think parents view that as like, I shouldn't have to lay with them. They need to learn to go to bed on their own. Mm. This is rewarding them. La, la, la. And that's fine. You can do that and maybe fight with them for an hour to get them to go to bed. Or you can lay with them for 10 minutes or lay with them until they fall asleep or, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So again, I think if we can rework those behaviors, all behaviors of like, are they seeking connection with me right now? And how can I connect with them in a meaningful Mm -hmm. way to really get what all of us want and what is best for them? Right. But there has to be connection before this correction. So Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson say, connect, then redirect. Mm-hmm. And many times we we miss that connection part and we go right to the correction or the redirection. Yeah. And there has to be connection first. Mm-hmm. Has to be. Unless you're going to parent out of fear and shame and physical discipline and all those kinds of things. If you're going to do it this way, there has to be connection. Mm-hmm. It has to be. So yes, yep. bedtime is a nightmare for many, many parents. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's all right. Go ahead. Okay, the other one we do, we do um, games before bed every night. Board games. Um, Sometimes we'll do a video game, not very often. Most of the time it's like a board game. I bet we have 100 board games in our That's a fact. It's just (laughs) kind of our thing. We play them all the time. Many nights I do not want to play a game. And I certainly don't want to play the games that they want to play. (laughs) Nine times out of 10, it ends up with someone screaming because they lost. (laughs) And so it's not always the most enjoyable thing to me. They love it. And it is a, it is an activity of connection, which is sometimes what I have to tell myself of like, we're gearing up to connect because again, then I need them to go to bed. Mm -hmm. So I am connecting at dinner as much as I can, whether that's talking to them, asking them about their day, leaving them alone, sitting with them, whatever. I'm trying to connect with a board game because I need them then to be connected enough to be able to go to sleep on their own. Yeah. So we do board games every single day. We do dance parties pretty regularly. That is another one that is that excitement and joining them in their ridiculousness. But we have dance parties pretty regularly and they ask for them now you know who doesn't like a dance party is benjamin (laughs) he is so right he's one that joining excitement not the easiest for him yeah fine for me so i am the one doing all that now other things joining easier for him different from me so dance parties are another way there is a whole slew of research maybe someday i'll do we'll do a episode on this about how healing and regulatory dance is and can be. And so that is another one that I think parents sometimes think feels dysregulated, but truly dancing, attuning to your body actually is very regulatory and can have really good effects of actually getting them back to a state of calm and safe and connected. Mm -hmm. If you, let their bodies move in those ways. So we do dance parties all the time. We do Nerf gun battles, believe it or not. We have goggles and everything. (laughs) And probably 25 Nerf guns. And we do it throughout the house or in the basement. And we armor up. We set a timer for usually seven minutes. That is about the length of time it takes for someone to get hurt. Always. (laughs) 
And so we do Nerf gun battles. Again, they are not my favorite thing. Some days they're great fun. Some days I think that is the last thing I want to be doing. That is another one that is right. That is amped up connection Mm -hmm. that I think sometimes we forget about. So we do Nerf gun battles. Physical touch is another one that's easy. And that is, I mean, always loving on my kids, even when they don't really like it so much. I will think it's say it's important to understand that so much of this depends on the type of child that you right. have. Yeah. And needing to find ways to connect with them in ways that speak to them. It's like a love language, but it's like a connection mm-hmm. language. So mm-hmm. and if you've been around for any amount of time, you know I have two wildly different children. If for Sawyer, the only way I connected with him were like physical touch and those nightly meetings in his bed, we would be disconnected regularly because half the time I have to make him, like he tells me to leave him alone and get off of him. He doesn't like me to like smooch him or like he'll give me hugs periodically. Sometimes he just hugs my legs. So if the only way I could connect to him was calm and little and quiet, forget about it. He would be a nightmare because that is not how he connects. He connects through dance parties, sniping me in the kitchen. (laughs) And big, he is big movement, big emotions, big everything. And so I have to find a way to connect with him in those ways. Mm -hmm. Whereas for Lincoln, if the only way I connected with him were those big ways, we would be disconnected. Now, he likes those too, but he needs calm and quiet and he loves me laying in the bed with him and he'll snuggle right up to me and lay on my shoulder and often come in and say like mom I just need a hug so if I missed that then I would miss a whole component of his connection right and I only have two so (laughs) if you have multiple kids like it's a lot and you just feel like connected out yeah and so I think that is also sometimes difficult for parents to understand that to have to find like one or two ways you can connect with your kids that feels like their bucket, mm-hmm. it's exhausting. It is exhausting, but super important. And I promise you will help with disruptive behaviors. Promise you. If you can find those one or two ways to connect with them because it is I believe absolutely what drives misbehavior is that lack Mm -hmm. of connection. Um, The last two, sorry, I went down a rabbit hole there. The last two things, I put notes in their lunchboxes. I bought on Amazon, they're little joke cards, (laughs) stupid jokes. And then on the back, there's like a tiny little section you can write a note. I just write a, I love you. Have a great day. I'm proud of you. We made it to the weekend, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. I put those in their lunchbox every day. If I forget, they tell me about myself. So that tells me like they care about those a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then just play, just playing with kids. Again, last, I think it was last episode, we talked about how important play is for kids and especially younger kids and how that's, that's how they process. That's how they learn. That's how they communicate all that stuff. And so learning to play. So those are my lists. And again, I don't do everything right. There are a million other things you could add to that list. That is what has worked for us. I am constantly looking for ways to add to it or find new ways. Like when Sawyer finds a sniper rifle and I have to 
come up with a way to do that differently. Again, for me, it's about understanding where I struggle in this connection thing and then understanding what my kids need Mm -hmm. is as it relates to connection. Is that big or small or calm or excited or whatever? And figuring out a way to align those two things Mm -hmm. to get to a point where if it can't be me, can it be Ben? Where we can fill that connection bucket in a way that feels authentic to us and meets the need. Mm -hmm. Understanding 100%, I believe, deep down in my soul, that that is what keeps our kids' behavior in check. Which sounds, that's not my goal, but it's a nice byproduct. Yeah. Of understanding that misbehavior comes out of a lack of connection. Yeah. I think you did a very good job of summarizing that. Oh, thanks. So we're going to close this one out. I hope it's been helpful. This has been really helpful for me because I think, as with a lot of things, we we want to typecast and put all kids in one box. And that's not the case because no. if you, I mean, that sounds stupid when you said that out loud because we know as adults, we are all different. We are motivated by different things. We have different love languages that we speak. And so I hope this was encouraging to you to Like Leah said, number one, figure out what what your capabilities are with the triggers you have, the history you have, and then figure out how do you fill your kid's love bucket up in a way that is meaningful and beneficial to them. And then also, on the other hand, how do you allow space for them to dump their yuck bucket on you every now and then? Figuring those three things out, I think, would be super helpful in our relationships with not just with our kids, with just people in general. But we hope this has been helpful. For you guys, thank you, as always, for being here. And we would love to hear in the comments of, I don't know, wherever you listen to this or on social media, like what are some of the ways that you connect with your kids? Because I think it's helpful. I mean, Leah gave some of hers, but hearing other people's could be helpful as well. So we'd love to hear that from you wherever you can leave it. (laughs) Yeah, we'll take it it any way we can get it. That's right. (laughs) So we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.